0: Interlude, a G.I. Joe podcast. I am your host, Dave West, codename Phantom Troublemaker.
1: And I am your co-host, Noah Wood, codename Crapshoot. And I'm your tri-host, Christian, codename Legion Cub. Alright, so guys, uh, before
0: we get into the segments of the episode, I want to talk a little bit about... Our, our personal, sort of current G.I. Joe collections. We've discussed where we came into G.I. Joe, which we all came in in the 80s, but as of right now, uh, you know, what what is, your, how, what is your involvement with G.I. Joe at the moment, whether it's collecting vintage stuff or whether we're deep <coughs> into the classified series, uh, and I'll kick it off just by saying I, I am in the depths of G.I. Joe mania right now. Uh, Over the years and the different things that I've been interested in, I kind of dip in and out of uh, what level of intensity I have for collecting any one thing. And with the convergence of G.I. Joe-related stuff right now, this is one of my huge focuses. Uh, I am currently building a vintage collection, thanks to a good friend of mine who dumped an incredible collection into my lap uh but I'm also way into the classified series and I've been collecting 25th anniversary stuff since that line started so I you know I've always maintained GI Joe at one level level or another but it just so happens that right now there's a lot Christian where are you at what what is your sort of modern collecting
1: Yeah so I am anticipating and eagerly awaiting the, uh, Walmart exclusive retro line. Um, you know, I'm still sticking with my 25th, uh, anniversary figures as my go-to Joe's of choice. Although the more and more I see of the new classified figures, uh, there are a few there. And, uh, you seem to keep warning me that that once I pull that trigger it's all over you'll be done you you'll you'll be wanting to just take a bath with these guys <laughs> well they haven't put out shipwreck yet <laughs> <laughs>
0: they will I hope they will actually my my son and I were talking about what the next because uh, they're they're not necessarily doing traditional waves when they do the announcements but we were talking about what the next sort of set of announcements might be, and we both agreed that there has to be some kind of, like, naval or aquatic guy in the next ones, which leaves you with the big contenders of wetsuit, torpedo, or shipwreck. And I think out of those, I feel like you you have to do shipwreck.
1: It's the most recognizable.
0: Absolutely. Yep. But here's the question. Do they do sailor shipwreck, or do they do one of those things where it's like shipwreck in some sort of scuba gear type deal?
1: Oh, see, I was just thinking spy force shipwreck in the sweater.
0: Oh, yeah, that's that's entirely possible, too. What if they did something... Because they've been so clever about how they've reused parts and done different things. What if they do he's in sort of a wetsuit type thing, but he comes with a masthead and a sailor hat head. Like, I feel like there's a way, and look, I, I absolutely 100% want a more traditional shipwreck, even if it is just the sweater one. Um, but I feel like there's a way they can make a guy, a, a figure, who looks like he's ready for battle on land and in the sea, because look, kids and myself love that aquatic like scuba gear type stuff so if they can make something where he's in tactical gear but has flippers and and you know a spear gun or whatever
2: well they could do the last of the uh the original real american hero uh figures and base it off of that one where he's a navy seal and he's just wearing a a a gray wetsuit
0: yeah, but they they've got to spice it up a little more than that. He's he has well, so to base have it on
2: that. Give it some. Give him some more tactical gear and that sort of thing.
0: Yeah, and he has to have so, the sailor hat and Polly.
1: Yes, and think of how successful Hasbro has been with the Marvel Legends, where it's like, oh, buy Danny Moonstar in the X Men school uniform. But by the way, she comes with these three heads. Well, I don't know so that I'd call create... that
0: successful because well... because if anybody got their hands on that figure, they're very lucky. <laughs> but I see what you're saying. I see what you're saying. Hasbro's right. so, so very if clever. You, if
1: you put him in a wetsuit, you could, you know, yes, I want a, a traditional uh, shipwreck, but you essentially could get two figures out of that one
0: mold. Yeah, you could have torpedo and shipwreck and potentially even wetsuit. So with yeah, minimal the with with minimal like changes. Cuz they I mean they've basically done wetsuit as a repaint of torpedo in the past with with different, you know, gear. Mm. Lots of cool possibilities there. Mm. Uh Noel, what about you? What are you currently in into?
2: Uh so it wasn't until I bought the house I'm in about a year and a half ago now that I had the room to display G.I. Joe. I had some Transformers out, and I had my Lego stuff out, but G.I. Joe was kind of a... it Because it's it's so hard to display it in such a... In a way. Um, so now that I've got more room, I was able to put that out. So I started, and it was the worst time to start, because about a year and a half ago was about the time that G.I. Joe prices started skyrocketing on the secondary market. Um, but ideally, and I know this will... is It's not a realistic possibility. Ideally, I'd love to complete every one of my figures and vehicles from eighty two to eighty seven. Because um, those are the years that I was active in my childhood. So as many of those as I can get, and you know, I'll buy stuff other stuff from the vintage line uh from after those years as well. But that's been my main focus. And I'm, you know, I've got a pretty i'm pretty happy with the collection i've amassed there's some holy grails that i have out there um but as as is i'm you know constantly kind of combing ebay and looking on facebook groups and if i see something that's a good deal like oh i just found an armadillo for twelve dollars on ebay so might as well get that you know because i never had one before just buying here and there and just trying to fill those holes in the collection
0: yeah that's kind of the same thing i've been doing with this vintage collection um my my right now my goal is to get you know as slowly as long as it takes everything that i had when i was a kid uh and when i look at it 82 to 87 just like you those were my prime years uh and you know i'll see stuff on ebay or whatever oh that's really cool oh but you know what i didn't have it i'm not there yet I'm, i'm trying to be very disciplined about how i build this collection uh, as a matter of fact, I just got, uh, I, I was 100% positive Law and Order were in the the stuff that I got, and they were not. So I just got Law and Order. And for some reason, the auction I bought it from had uh, one of the Cobra Law guards just in there with Law and Order. Nice. That was it. That was the lot. Bonus. And, well, and that's the thing is I want to, ha- because I'm a lunatic who has to troop build. I would like to have four of the Cobra Law Guards, and I've already got one, and this was another one. He doesn't have any of his stuff, which is pretty common, but whatever, I don't care.
2: That's a rant for a future episode, by the way, right there.
0: Oh, boy. (laughs) The Cobra
2: Law Guard being in a three-pack.
0: Yeah, well, we'll we'll make a note about how troop builders are done, (laughs) both vintage and modern. Uh, and i wanted to throw this out there before we move into the episode if you follow audible interlude podcast on instagram we we've got we try to keep as current as we can with the news uh we just put up as much gi joe content as possible and we recently put up our hashtag gi joe dream team each of us uh chose the nine joes that we would put on our dream teams so go to audible interlude podcast on instagram and find out uh some of us had had the same picks and and some of us had uh, quite different picks so you you can get a little look at the personalities of your hosts that way uh and finally i want to mention and and i guess this this will be my first i told you guys about this uh, this is my first public acknowledgement of this, and I'm kind of jumping the gun a little bit because they haven't arrived yet. But I have completed my collection of G.I. Joe comic three-packs. Ah. Uh, if you remember in... Was it 2005, I think, is when these were coming out? 2004, 2005, right around, right around there. It was part of the Valor versus Venom line. Um, but they would pack three figures in with an issue of the old Marvel comic, and the figures would be decoed to look like they looked in the cop books. I bought maybe six or seven of them when they were coming out, and I don't know why I didn't buy the rest, but I didn't. And I've had them pinned up on the wall with the 25th anniversary comic two packs for years and about a month ago I looked at them and I was like why don't I have all of these the G.I. Joe comic is my favorite version of G.I. Joe why don't I have the figures representing that comic so I started getting on eBay because that's all we can do now and kind of looking around and I realized that there were there are a total of 19 of them but the last one is the figures are, like, in a different style. It's Cover Girl and, like, two other figures, and they're not from the Marvel comics. So I don't, I don't care about that one. I'm not saying I'll never get it, but to me it's not part of this collection.
2: Is that the Hannibal Reborn one? Yes,
0: yes. Yes, I actually it. have that one. Do you really? Yep. It, and you can, you can verify, though, that those figures look very different.
2: They're, I, I, they're 25th style. I believe Uh, no, no,
0: no, they're not. not? They're not 25th style, but they're like they're like Valor versus Venom style.
2: Are they okay? I've got it. It's 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 on the wall, but I can't see it where I'm sitting right
0: now. They're that like sort of thicker, heavier look than the original 80s Joes. They just they don't. don't Uh, Oh yes, yes, okay. They don't go. Uh, yep. So I I have now completed my collection of the eighteen Marvel Comics three packs, uh, and it feels great. Well, okay, like I said, they haven't come. The last four haven't come yet, but I managed to get uh, three of the last four I needed from one buyer on eBay, and then the fourth one was just on Amazon. It was uh, Tunnel Rat, General Flag, and one other figure. I don't remember what the other one was. And normally, when I would look for these on Amazon, they're like. One hundred and seventy-five dollars, something absolutely absurd. But this one was well within what I was willing to spend on these guys, so I was like, eh, "Done, got it." So they they're on the way. So I will uh, once they're here, I'm going to put together a little video for the Needless Things YouTube channel and uh, sort of go through the whole collection and and what it is and what they did with it. So that's that's one of my big toy accomplishments of late. All right, well, you guys, are you ready for this month's review? I guess so. (laughs) So this month on Audible Interlude, we will be reviewing... Snake Eyes Dead Game, the new G.I. Joe comic book from IDW. Uh, this was kind of a last-minute decision. We were originally going to be talking about something else that we'll get to in a later episode, but this comic hit uh, two weeks ago, and it just seemed like something we, we, had to, we all agreed, right, that we kind of needed to talk about it. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, how do we feel about that decision now?
2: Uh, so I was I was gonna write some notes down. So I went through and I read the comic once, and I went back and I was like, I'm gonna go through it again, and I'm gonna start writing notes. And the first thing I wrote was, "This is not for me." <laughs>
0: <laughs> That's a very diplomatic way to put it. I'm gonna I'm gonna slide my readers on here so I can see everything. Uh, all right, so this is Snake Eyes Dead Game, uh, Dead Game published by IDW. Uh, Story and Art by Rob Liefeld. Script and Dialogue by Chad Bowers. uh, Colors by Federico Blee. And Editor, apparently none, is my guess, because there's no way an editor let this comic book get printed and sent out to the public. (laughs) And for the listeners, look... This is this isn't going to be a glowing review and I apologize for that. We like to have fun here on Audible Interlude, but we are also not going to shine up things that don't deserve it. So if Rob yeah. Liefeld and IDW want to get really mad at us, then we'll
1: just deal with it. And here's the thing. I working in comic stores throughout the late eighties into the mid two thousands, being there for The image boom Of the 90s People like to crap on Rob Liefeld so I tried to go Into this with a completely Open mind and just kind Of forget it was him Read it for what It is and not have Any Prejudgment and Man Listeners if you've read a, a, a Rob Phil comic, you know what you're in for. But not even counting the art, just even story-wise, it's... It, it's...
0: it's. I'm the same way. Like, I don't have anything against the guy. I loved his comics in the 90s. Um, I, I did not go into this like, oh, I can't stand his art. He doesn't know how to draw ankles. Ha, ha, ha. Like, I I don't... That humor doesn't land for me because he's grown as an artist. He's better than he was. And, like, in interviews and stuff, he he makes jokes about himself. He created a character called Pouch Man. I mean, it's... <laughs>
1: like That's what there's things in this comic. There are panels in this comic that when I look at the artwork, I go, is... Is he trolling us with snake? Sna- I think Snake Eyes' pockets,
2: but his pouches, actually start expanding as the comic goes
1: uh, run, well, as its run. The- well, and there's a roadblock image near the end of the comic <laughs> that is almost practically his infamous Captain America drawing. It's bad. So when you say he's grown as an artist, <laughs> stuff like that makes me go has he? Or is he doing this because he's in on the joke and I I just really don't know. Well, the
0: the inconsistency of this art is, I don't suppose you guys have a copy in front of you, do you?
2: I do. Okay. Uh, no, it's on my other computer.
0: Okay, so the inconsistency is completely insane. Uh, on page two, we have a really cool pa- and and look, if you don't look, if you don't consider the panels to be part of the same story, there are a lot of really cool action packed panels in this. Um, I can't really his figure drawing for as far as Snake Eyes goes. Snake Eyes pretty much always looks cool and good, uh, mostly because he did not have a face. Because when Leefeld has to draw faces, that's when things fall apart. <laughs> um, but like page two cool leaping snake eyes pose with a lot of weird extraneous, apparently like bands with no point are the new pouches. He has three bands on each arm, three bands on each leg. On page two, it looks like there's a pouch on his right thigh. On page three, that pouch is gone. Yeah. Um... And then when you move over to page, and look, we're not going to belabor this, but there are just a few things I wanted to point out. Uh, We move over to page 7, and you can actually look at the image right next to it on page 6 and compare. Uh, On page 7, he now has five bands on each arm, four bands on each leg, (laughs) no holster, or pouch or whatever it was on his thigh. Uh, it's insanity, you guys. I can't believe an editor looked through this art and and said, this is fine. There's no consistency whatsoever. Later on in the comic, uh, when he's fighting, and we got to talk about the plot a little bit, the comic opens with uh, the Grave Master, which is kind of a cool concept. I'm okay with there being more masters. <laughs> if they're going to go the ninja road... Like the Grave Master is not the worst thing ever, right?
1: Uh, <laughs> I, I, I don't know. <laughs> okay, maybe I'm wrong. No, this, this comic
2: lost me on page one, <laughs> and I tried really hard. What? Just because but... Thor is in it? Well, no, it's right. not just that it's Thor. The, Thor's face, first of all, I I got to that panel and I laughed.
0: Oh um, yeah, it's bad.
2: Oh, it's bad. Um, but yeah, it's—I mean—it's clearly—it's very obvious. He's shoving Thor and even naming Mjolnir in there just to try to kind of get some Marvel crossover. Even though obviously it has nothing to do with Marvel's Thor, this is just Norse mythology.
0: Um, uh, I don't know. I mean, you see, you see Thor in a lot of stuff. He's not uh, anybody can use him. I'm not sure that was necessarily a direct snub.
1: Yeah, uh, I don't know. Coming from a a line that has Raven you you look at four and it's it's just a little too superhero-y for my taste of GI Joe. Well, the Master smashes Mjolnir, too. So that's
0: Well, here's here's my The only issue I have with the way that this art is depicting this... Like, because look, story-wise, this is something straight out of the cartoon. Yes. 100%. So I don't really have issue with that. But the fact that Thor basically looks like Strife is maybe not awesome. Uh, But what what I was going to point out later on when... So the Gravemaster who defeated Thor or whatever happened with Thor in the battle at the beginning. I'm still not clear on that. The Grave Master is resurrected by a group of evil Arashikage ninjas, right? That's what. Oh, yeah, totally here.
1: Frank Miller-drawn
0: ninjas. Yes, yes. And then we get a bandaged guy who looks pretty cool. And it's weird because you kind of don't realize until the fourth to last page of the comic That he's a giant? Like, all of a sudden there's that one panel where he's wrapping Snake Eyes up in his bandages, and you're like, oh, this guy's a giant. He's like twice as big as Snake Eyes. But this is after uh, a few pages prior where Snake Eyes has pulled two pistols out of nowhere. (laughs) Where did they come
2: from? The pouches. (laughs)
0: <laughs> those pistols were not fitting in those pouches, <laughs> so now Snake Eyes has magical guns that just appear, which is fine because maybe it's like how Megatron turns into a from a giant robot into a tiny Walther uh, P38 subspace. Yes. Um. So apparently, Snake Eyes now carries guns in subspace. Uh, his sword looks completely different from panel to panel. Uh, These pages are not numbered, so if you're listening to this and trying to follow along, I apologize. But there's one panel where Snake Eyes, the hilt of his sword, which for some reason goes between from being a katana to being like a claymore. (laughs) And, And then the wrappings on the handle change from panel to panel. This is insanity, you guys. This is ridiculous. Um... Look, like I said, the story is pure G.I. Joe cartoon. I do not have a problem with the story. But the art is so... Did you guys see Timber's face? Uh, I was oh dumb. my god, you mean Stewie Timber? <laughs> or Rocket
1: Raccoon Timber?
2: Yeah. That, that was my next point, was, oh boy, when we get to
1: Timber. Or, or the fact that... Joe Colton apparently has the worst case of lockjaw of any character because there's not a panel drawn where he's not talking through gritted
0: teeth. teeth every time.
1: He's like, so like I angry. want coffee with sugar and cream. Like what?
0: Uh so all right. So we have just nonsense. Snake Eyes... Well, that's the other thing. At the beginning, it looks like Snake Eyes is on his own infiltrating this facility, and then just, all of a sudden, Roadblock and Tripwire are there. Is Tripwire even in the comic after that point? I just realized... No.
2: Yeah, he He, dis- he disappears. He just
0: disappears! Tripwire and then Scarlet just...
2: takes his place later.
0: Yes, because Scar- Scarlet just shows up with Timber for some reason with rocket Timber. You guys, this is complete insane nonsense. I I don't,
1: I think what was getting to me about the first part where it's just snake eyes right up to when he is meets up with roadblock is all of the narration of the comic it keeps building towards snake eyes is the only one that can do this not really ever saying what this is it's just every time he's fighting somebody it's snake eyes alone snake eyes is the guy and and it, i don't know that just sort of rubs me the wrong way for a a military right unit right or a special forces unit like like we get it Snake Eyes is popular. Snake Eyes is, is a bad A. Like, you don't have to cram it down our throats and, and turn him into, you know, Wolverine dialogue. Yeah, yeah. Well, and it's it it's
0: inconsistent even within the dialogue because early in the issue, it says he gave up a long time ago on having friends or connections with other people and then towards the end of the comic, it says these things are a threat to his friends. <laughs>
1: like it, It's just... No... And... and uh, one last... Uh, it, I don't know if this is necessarily the artwork or the letterer. There is a part and I rolled laughing at this when Roadblock asked Snake Eyes a question and they actually put a dialogue box with dot, 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 implying Snake Eyes is not answering him, and Roadblock's response back to him was like, yeah, me neither.
0: Yeah, they did that a couple of times. Snake Eyes
1: doesn't talk. Yeah, yeah, and and they did the the little ellipsis
2: dialogue box a few times back in the Marvel run, but uh, they played it up a little bit too much here.
1: Yeah.
0: So, (laughs) we... We conclude with uh, Scarlet shows up with Timber and they they manage to run off the Grave Master. The Grave Master says, next time we meet, after I've reclaimed the Sword of the Dead, which is a total, like I said, total animated series thing, uh, you will fall in line and then we get a a double page uh, image of Scarlet with one of the 12 hairstyles she has in this one single comic.
2: (laughs) And she's only in three panels, it's amazing.
0: Snake Eyes, Roadblock, who looks like a can of tomato soup for some reason, (laughs) and then Joe Colton, who is once again speaking through his... Well, they're all speaking through completely closed mouths. Uh, I Because we love... Our listeners, and because we want everybody to follow the audible interlude podcast, I will be keeping up with this comic and bringing updates with each future episode since it is a monthly comic. Uh, I think there are four issues I, man, I hope they're not more than four issues uh Noel and Christian, I am not going to ask you guys to do the same. <laughs>
1: I am a glutton for punishment. I started this story. I feel like I need to finish the story. Um, it, it, there's a part of me it, with Hasbro's big push for GI Joe um, and their cross branding being very much centered on the on the you know GI Joe classified. I am curious how much it input. Hasbro had like if if IDW went to them and was like, hey, here's our story. Hasbro signed off on it, and and if there's anything that will come later on down the road uh, in these four issues that will tie into the larger classified mythos, so I I'm on board. But man, that art. Well, and as I said
2: explicitly, this is not for me, and I say that because. This is for somebody, and yes. I, as I've said it a million times. I'm happy to see as much GI Joe product out there as possible, getting into the hands of as many people who can get their you know, who can see it and maybe introduce it to their you know to their kids or, or their friends or whatever. I hope not a lot of people are introducing this to their kids and getting a <laughs> a big mainstream artist like this to do a title is good for the brand. Hopefully, even if. I didn't like it, and clearly I'm not the only one that didn't like it. Um, although apparently there's a lot of positive reviews of this comic out there. So, well, somebody and, does.
0: And if you're listening to this and you think that we're wrong and we're just we're being mean and unfair, uh, please let us know. Uh, hit up at GI Joe Audible on Twitter. We'd love to hear feedback. We'd love to have conversations about this and we're not the kind of people who are going to tell you you're wrong. If you loved this comic book, then you loved it, and that's the end of the story. Uh, I'm not trying to convince anybody that they should not think this is a good comic. I'm just saying that I didn't think it was. So with that, uh, you guys, we're we're in this. We're going to follow Snake Eyes Dead game to its, I'm sure... Unbelievable conclusion Stunning Over the coming conclusion. months
1: And listeners, since this is a Rob Liefeld comic With the delays We'll be talking about this For probably the next two years <laughs> For years so to come Stick with us <laughs> hey, They have tentative release dates for the next two issues I believe
2: So uh, they're they're on target Every 45 days or so
0: Welcome to Missing in Action, where we discuss a character that deserves a figure from any era, any toy line. And uh, in general, we're going to be talking about why they didn't have a figure during the era they were sort of existing. Because a lot of characters got figures later on, and this time it is my pick. And my pick is Dr. Venom. And it drove me crazy when I was a kid that I didn't have a Dr. Venom figure. And you guys, part of the fun of this podcast, and I think I mentioned something along these lines in the last episode, is going back and looking at all of these things, memories are coming back to me. Uh, I actually, as I was setting up my Vintage Joes the other day, I remembered that when I was a kid, I used Sci-Fi and Airtight as Ghostbusters. (laughs) Like, they were part of the Joe team, But they were part of the Ghostbusters branch of the Joe team. And memories like that are kind of what we're... You know, it's part of the fun of doing this show. And as I was going through sort of Dr. Venom's history in Larry Hama's Real American Hero comic, uh, which is where he came from and was such an important character, I remembered that I didn't like Dr. Mindbender at first because it felt to me like we were getting him instead of Dr. Venom as a figure. So before we get too much further, for the listeners or for anybody who may not know, Dr. Venom is a character from the G.I. Joe Real American Hero Marvel comic. He was introduced in issue 10, and his big sort of Uh, invention was the brainwave scanner that played a major part in so many of the storylines that ran through the ongoing story of larry hama's uh gi joe comic brainwave scanner again and again would you know would affect snake eyes and storm shadow It, it would uh it was it was a plot device that that hama liked to use quite a bit uh and dr venom was one of the more uh relentlessly evil characters in the comic, and he had a very interesting like his main rival oddly enough was snake eyes so what do you guys remember about dr Venom uh,
1: I agree with you uh my my memory always goes back to being terrified of him uh, because he was truly evil um and I, I, I keep thinking back uh in the Marvel run when the Joe team first thought Snake Eyes was dead and um you had Snake Eyes Quinn and Dr. Venom that had managed to survive the explosion and they were like trapped in this um this box and and Quinn and Snake Eyes are trying to figure a way out. If I rem- and if I remember correctly, like Venom was prepared j- to just let them drown. Like I will die just so I can see you guys are dying. And like you also said, the brain Boy scanner uh, became a huge part of GI Joe lore for the Marvel comics. Yes. Well into the 90s. Mm-hmm.
0: And the fact that we don't have a toy of that is kind of kind of bothers me, too, because it was so critical to the comics. Yeah. Uh, yeah, Just Dr. Venom was just evil. I remember uh, him putting Quinn and Snake Eyes into Snake Armour. And he was using mind control, that like using the snake armor to control them and send him, sending them up against the Joes. And, of course, they both managed to resist it eventually. And so it comes down to Quinn, who I guess we need to refer to as Quinn the Inuit. When I was a kid, yeah. I was not aware that Eskimo was an offensive term. Uh, and if you've got to figure today, well, he has a figure which will will at some point Quinn will probably come up in this segment sure uh but Quinn who is an awesome awesome character uh so Quinn is going after Venom cuz this whole enmity triangle of Quinn Snake Eyes and Venom lasted quite some time in the comics mm-hmm. uh and Venom killed Quinn as he was dying. Like, just because he was such a spiteful, murderous, awful person. Uh, it, it's just, it, the stories in those comics are fantastic. And Dr. Venom was such a great, you know, pure creation of Larry Hama. And he, yeah. he did get a figure in 2010 as part of the G.I. Joe Collectors Club, which I never even looked at because those figures are so expensive. But I went to look the other day just to see what the price is on him now because I still to this day would like to have a Dr. Venom figure. I would prefer it be in the original Hasbro 80s style because that's the era he belongs in. But, if I could get this twenty fifth anniversary style figure, I'd love to. But my assumption is it would be incredibly expensive, but I couldn't even find one for sale online.
2: Hmm. You were just mentioning that uh, he was a pure creation of Larry Hama, and that's that's one of the things about a lot of the characters that were in the comics and the especially on Cobra side early on because there weren't a lot of face characters. It was Cobra Commander. Bunch of nameless, faceless troopers, and eventually you got Destro, and you got Major Blood, and eighty-three. But for the for a couple of years there, Larry Hama had to invent villains um, that actually had a little bit of character to them, and that's where the Baroness came from. We got Scarface, and Doctor Venom was one of those big ones. And I mentioned that before about him having to create those, but um, since Doctor Venom was just a purely comic book created, Larry could do anything he wanted with him, and he was like a true mad scientist and that I I love that appeal to him, but he wasn't like, like he was methodical in everything he did. I didn't see him as being like a crazy mad scientist. I saw him as being like a very meticulous, um, you know, brilliant man who had all these sinister ideas.
0: Well, he always had ulterior motives, right? Always like even beyond, like he didn't just work for Cobra commander. He always was working to his own ends and and sort of using the resources of cobra to do his own things it's just that cobra's evil coincided with his own kinda
1: and after he met his his end in the marvel comics i i did like that his uh popper's grave box instead of having his name they put on there Doctor Venom. That that is something else that that stuck with me. Do- yeah. not Doctor Monev.
0: Right, right. So yeah, Doctor Venom was a, a critical character, a huge character in those GI Joe comics, and I really do feel like he he deserved a uh, a figure in the original line. Uh, 100%. I, I almost
2: I almost feel like Hasbro probably was like, well, maybe we should make a figure of him, but you know what. We can never sell a guy in a lab coat. Let's just create a new guy called Dr. Mindbender. And that's where that idea came from. So they were they went com- the complete opposite with the shirtless bald right. man with a monocle instead. We, and, we can't sell a guy in a lab coat, so
1: take those clothes off of him. Well, Dr. <laughs> Mindbender was originally
2: named Dr. Brainwave, too, in the comics. Oh, so, that's
0: right. I so completely that, forgot about that.
2: That's why I kind of tie those two characters together in addition to just like them kind of having similar roles.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Well, and Mindbender did pretty much fill the role of Dr. Venom on the cartoon until we got to uh oh gosh. I can't remember the name of the episode. Uh Cobra's Creatures. There's a Dr. Lucifer. Yes. <laughs> which, which in this kid's cartoon, they just straight-up named somebody Dr. Lucifer. Uh, and he's very, very similar to Dr. Venom. Uh, I would also like to have a Dr. Lucifer action figure, by the way. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> All right, let's move on to Beyond the 80s. Welcome to Beyond the 80s, where we talk about an aspect of G.I. Joe outside of the uh, Real American Hero toy line, and this month, since it came up on the last episode of the show, we are going to talk about Sergeant Savage, and the first thing I have to say about Sergeant Savage and the Screaming Eagles is that I misspoke last episode, or I didn't misspeak, I was just straight up wrong. I thought that GI Joe Extreme came before Sergeant Savage, and that Sergeant Savage was a return to the more articulated figures. Sergeant Savage came out in 1995, which was before GI Joe Extreme. So uh, this this was the in between point of we're moving away from three and three quarter inch O ring figures. to something that's a little bigger and a little different. Uh, So let's talk about Sergeant Savage. Now, when I brought up Sergeant Savage as our topic for this month, uh, Christian, what was your first thought?
1: Oh, boy. That was... But, much like you discovered, uh, my memories of Sergeant Savage are actually mixed with Gaijo Extreme. So there were there were characters that I thought were savage that actually were extreme, same thing with the vehicles. Um so it's been good going back and, and looking at them and, and doing a better deep dive to go, Oh, wait a minute, there's there's some stuff to actually appreciate here.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Noel, what about you?
2: well i uh I do distinctly remember Sergeant Savage being directly after a real American hero um because it was similar enough looking as far as the figure style goes uh and then I also remember that Kenner was the one that was producing g i Joe extreme and that was after the acquisition um so I didn't ever have that timeline messed up I guess I just didn't realize um Well, first of all, Sgt. Savage was so much bigger than the regular three... Because I'd never seen one in person, really, up until recently. But I thought they were just three and three-quarter inch figures. That's why I was was confused. Well, why did Real American Hero (laughs) end in 94 when... Oh, they're not! (laughs) (laughs) No, they're four and a half, which makes no sense, because I feel like there's a lot of good stuff in this line. Yes. And if they had just kept the original articulation and figure size, you know... I think that we'd look back at these a lot more
0: fondly than we do. Well, even if they had... Like, they didn't even necessarily have to keep the O-ring. Just keep them the same scale. Yeah. And and I think that there would be things to like. But just really quick to run some stuff down. Uh, there are comics, and there is a video that came with... There, there's an actual cartoon episode that features... Some of the real American hero GI Joe team. Uh, we'll review that another time. We're here to talk about the toy line today, which came out in 1995. Uh, it it really seemed to be taking a lot from like Nick Fury and the Howling Commandos or Sergeant Rock. And well, even so- had
2: Joe Kubert doing the artwork for the package, yeah. right?
0: Which is gorgeous. Yeah. Although I gotta wonder, looking back at this packaging, is his artwork? maybe not very appealing for 1995 toy audience.
2: Oh, well, that's a whole other <sighs> can of worms. Peasants!
0: <laughs> because they, they should have gotten Rob Liefeld to do the art. <laughs>
2: <laughs> well, I mean, you're looking at this is 1995. This is 50 years after World War Two ended. How many kids were into World War Two? Right. So, um, I, I love the aesthetic now. Um, But if I were 10 years old at the time that came out, I would have been like, why would I
0: want to play with World War II figures? Well, well, let me just tell you, I was 19 years old, and I didn't want to play with World War II figures.
2: Yeah. I mean, especially right after so much of that garish neon stuff from a year before, this is the direction
1: G.I. Joe went.
0: Well, and I think this is an overreaction
1: to that. Yeah. Yeah. Because my younger brother was, was collecting Joes at that time. So, you know, I w- was still involved in the periphery. And when the Sergeant Savage stuff came out, I remember us discussing about how this is their attempt to get it back to being military-grounded in reality versus the over-science-fiction route that it had turned into. But it was too far on the other
2: scale yes and it was also completely ripping off captain america
0: (laughs) yeah that well that sergeant savage's story is basically exactly captain america's story which in 1995 nobody cared about captain america believe it or not That movie did not exactly take off. I'm talking about the 1990 Captain America movie. Uh, It was not at the forefront of everybody's thoughts, let me just tell you.
2: No, comic book movies in general were not exactly a mainstream thing, uh, with the exception of, like, Batman 89.
0: Yeah, well, 1995 brought us, uh, what, Batman and Robin?
2: Yep. They were just silly at that. Point. So yeah,
0: <laughs> there there was comic books really didn't have a lot of value in the cinema at the time. Uh, so running down the statistics for this line, uh, it, it sounds pretty good for a one shot line: sixteen figures, three vehicles, and then one twelve inch figure, uh, which is uh, you know what? I will take a twelve inch figure from any GI Joe line until the end of time because to me that's a tribute to origins of the line. Like if if they wanted to release an exclusive twelve inch classified figure, that'd be cool. Do it. You know what I mean? Like mm-hmm. that that's that's fine. I think there should always be twelve inch Joes in some form or another. But then when you break down what's actually in the line, you start to see uh, you know, beyond the overly old school styling beyond the size that didn't fit with anything else on the market at the time because they were taller than your standard Joe's. They were shorter than the toy biz stuff that was coming out at the time. Uh, You had six versions of Sergeant Savage, two versions of D-Day, two versions of Dynamite, three versions of General Blitz, the villain, and then one Arctic Stormtrooper, one Iron Anvil, and one Iron Stormtrooper. Uh, that is, for the first wave of figures, that is absurd. Yeah,
2: six six of the same figure. Almost Well, essentially, it's more than half of the heroes are the same character.
0: Well, and that's the thing that's so insane to me. Is it's not even it's not even six repaints. It's six completely different versions of this guy. So they could have done other characters because they're using different tooling. They're not just repaints. They're different yeah.
1: figures. But In the toy industry around that time, there was a wrong thinking. Um, I call it the Batman syndrome, <laughs> where where you know oh, kids don't want that figure. They just want Batman. Right, so, right. Pump out 50 different versions of Batman because the kid will just play with Batman. And, and I feel like that's what they were doing here and that totally worked against them.
0: Because let me just tell you, Servant, Sergeant Savage is not Batman. No. <laughs> <laughs> Does not that have not. quite the same level of recognition. Uh, and another thing that I think was really working against this line is it launched a. Around the same time that Kenner relaunched Star Wars, Uh, yeah, you don't go up against Star Wars. Even though in 1995 the brand had been stagnant for, you know, basically a decade, Uh, it's still Star Wars. Even in 1995, it was still Star Wars, and that, in my memory, now I don't, I don't have figures, I don't have, you know, economics on it. But in my memory, the biggest thing that happened in 1995, as far as toys go, was Star Wars came back.
2: And you still have a lot of the, I mean, like Ninja Turtles was still around, and a few sure. of those that would were it... still selling very well by at this point.
1: And 95 also would have been uh, Power Rangers. Yeah, Power Rangers Pied. were big. Oh, yeah,
0: yeah, absolutely. So, yeah, there's a lot of stiff competition and a bunch of, you know, old school World War II looking guys just weren't going to get the job done. But once you get past uh, some of the decision making and actually, actually, well, you know, what are you going to do? They're cool figures. If, If these were three and three quarter inch figures, I would absolutely be looking for them right now.
2: I even like the way that they they have the kind of the bigger upper bodies. They look a lot like more action figurey. Yes. Um at that point, but that doesn't bother me because it just kind of works with the aesthetic of the figures and I mean the the Iron Army figures are they're amazing. They could never be made now um with those looks,
1: I don't think. No, but I want a general blitz in the 25th Style so bad now, yeah. I mean, and and the the red version of him is a better M Bison than yes. the yes. GI Joe M Bison. 100%. Exactly, I agree. Exactly what I was thinking too.
2: Yeah, there's there's a lot of Nazi uh, overtones, obviously, with those, and I don't think that they could make those today because of that. Um, like the Iron Stormtrooper figure is really a striking figure. There's also a lot of. Um, uh, um, uh, Paltoy Action Man, um, uh, Red Shadows vibe that I get from it
0: too. Oh yeah, yeah, definitely. Uh, and then the three vehicles are all very, very cool. Oh, the Warhawk is beautiful. Uh, yes, I, I. These are. They feel like. I don't want to say they feel like early GI Joe vehicles because they don't. They're they're a little too fantastical for that but they have sort of the design elements of that. They're not, you know, they're not straight-up World War II vehicles, but they do have more classical styling than the later G.I. Joe stuff, and I appreciate them for that. Uh, so, i got to say, I think, like you said, Noel, if this had just been a three-and-three-quarter-inch line, I think, what okay... Let's go around and say what we think our, the biggest problem with this line in 1995 was. For me, because I bought a couple of these figures because it was G.I. Joe and I wasn't going to not buy them. For me, the biggest problem was the scale. I think if they'd been 3 and three quarter inch scale, uh, I probably would have bought the whole line. And I think maybe it would have managed to last at least another wave because the people hanging on to the tail end of the Real American Hero line probably would have just moved on to this. Yeah. Yeah. Because these are cool designs. They look cool. They're cool soldier dudes. They look heroic, like you said. They've got the bigger upper bodies, but that's okay, because if you look at the Real American Hero line from 1982 through 1994, those body types changed a lot. Nin- 1982 Joes do not look like 1984 or 1994 Joes. Right. They don't even look like 1985 Joes. So you can you can accept a little bit of variance as far as that goes. Um I overall I think this is a cool line. I think it's a cool idea. I just think that they executed it poorly. And I think having six Sergeant Savage figures was was a poor decision too. Yeah. If they had two, because you do have to have two Sergeant Savages. You have to have the one that's the World War II one in kind of the just the olive drabs, and then you have to have the kitted out, like, leading the squad modern day one. You do get two of them, but you don't need the other four. Instead, you have the pilot, you have the driver, because he's, he's everything. He's the leader, he's the pilot, he's the driver. Like, he does it. why does he even have D-Day and Dynamite?
2: Well, and if that's the case, like, that would make more sense, I think, if this is kind of throwing back the original G.I. Joe, where it was just like, he's just really one guy. He's G.I. Joe. Uh, yeah, yeah, And And if they didn't have two other hero characters, then I could buy it more if you just had six of the same guy. Yeah, that um, would have worked, too. You're right. But, yeah, just the fact that he's apparently part of a team, and yet he's... <laughs> he's he's just all of the members of the team.
0: He's sixty percent of the team. <laughs> and the other guys are each 20%, but there are 10 people on the team. And there's way more Screaming
2: Eagles, apparently, somewhere that we just never got to see, I'm guessing.
0: Yes, yeah, because I think they're in the comic. I think we get to see yeah. more members of the group. As a matter of fact, I think they're even at the end of the cartoon, but I haven't watched it, and I still have my VHS of it. Uh, but I haven't watched it in so long, I'm not positive. But like I said, We'd, we will review that on a coming episode. We did episode. get
2: decoder rings, though, which, you know, if you're a kid in the 90s, I don't know if that uh, goes so well as, uh,
1: you know. <laughs> you know you as don't wanna, in World War II.
2: Yeah. Uh, oh, you know, be sure to drink your Ovaltine <laughs> like Little Orphan Annie. I don't know if a lot of 90s kids were into that sort of thing. But it's a cool idea. I like. I love that. But I also have a little bit of nostalgia for you know World War Two lore. So, all
1: right, Christian, final thoughts on Sergeant Savage? Yeah, I like you said the the villains. I think are, are the coolest piece. But there's no way to update them for uh, today's world. So, swing and a miss. <laughs> yeah, it, it's. Cool concepts, just not executed quite right. Legion Cub, and now we're going to look at Instruments of Destruction, where we talk about a vehicle, uh, both from the toy line, any uh, inclusion of it in the cartoon, or trading cards, media, all that sort of stuff. And my pick for this month, I'm going with Cobra's Buzz Bore. Came out in... Oh, man, 1987. Um, it, to me, it's a cool design with the giant buzzsaw blades going through the center of it. Um, I, this is when we started to cross over more into that uh, sci-fi, fantastical realm when it came to the vehicles. But this to me looks like something that that cobra would have built to send out and just cause chaos and destruction like i I can see it not only tearing down rainforests uh but just plowing through uh you know small towns and uh uh it's nicely armored uh you know the driver is totally enclosed and, and protected um so, yeah, just a, a cool little vehicle, um, and that's my pick.
0: I love that you picked the bore because I have one of the first vintage, or one of the only vintage vehicles that I've hung on to through the years is the buzz bore Nice. I have had it with my 25th anniversary collection from the start. I have a 25th anniversary Cobra Commander kind of, like, hanging out the side of it, doing sort of a what's up. <laughs> because I lo- this, um, the the Pogo, what is it, the Battle Pod, whatever the heck. Yeah. Um, and then the, uh, the Trouble Bubble. I love these. These are like sort of the trifecta of bizarre cobra technology to me i love that the blades actually spin around the vehicle and here's how much i love this design one of the coolest tropey bad guy vehicles is the underground tunneler with the giant drill on the front right Mm -hmm. like Shredder had him, and Teenage Ninja Turtles. Every 50 sci-fi villain had some sort of like big vehicle with a huge drill bit on the front. And Total like Recall, twenty
2: Transformers that had uh, that as yes, an alt mode.
0: Yes, a Total Recall. Arnold Schwarzenegger fights one like it's a seminal science fiction vehicle. So in the live-action GI Joe movie, the first one, when Cobra breaks into the pit. Using those drill vehicles as much as I love that concept, concept, I was furious they weren't buzz bores. <laughs> I was like, why aren't they driving buzz bores? And I was totally missing the fact that they were using awesome underground drill vehicles. So that's how much I dig the buzz bore. I just think it's great. It's such a it's it's a ludicrous and awesome design, and that's you know those those. Eighty six, eighty seven years of G.I. Joe is where we really hit the sweet spot of this is unrealistic, so cool that we're going to let it slide. You know what I mean?
1: Yeah, I'm usually, with my Joes, I, I'm usually such a stickler for grounded in reality, but when it comes to Cobra, there's a certain element of, of These people are building whatever it takes so they can get a little bit more outlandish, and this, while looking outlandish, I could see something like this being made in the real world. I don't know how practical it would be, (laughs) but... Well, um, and again, like in my headcanon...
0: Destro is making all of this stuff,
1: mm-hmm.
0: and Destro is not reined in by the practicalities of, uh, you know, what the U.S. military. Their equipment, their vehicles, whatever, have to meet certain standards, have to have certain safety rules, have to have you know certain uh, qualifying elements. Whereas Destro just, uh, you know, Cobra Commander calls up Destro and he's like,
1: Destro.
0: I need to dig underground, and Destro's like, (laughs) No problem, Cobra Commander. I will build you a giant saw blade with a cockpit in the middle. And that's it. Done (laughs) deal. Destro doesn't care if, like, one out of every five of these collapses under the pressure of a rotating saw blade. It doesn't matter. He's not going to get sued. He doesn't care.
2: And you will never convince me that uh, the people who were making Star Wars Episode 2, uh, when they came up with the wheel bike oh, that General yeah, yeah. O'Grevis shows up mm. on, did not see a buzz bore and take some inspiration from that. Absolutely. First thing, I, first time I saw that, I was like, that's a buzz bore.
0: So did everybody have a buzz bore when they were a kid? I have never yeah. owned one. Really? Not even now you don't have one?
2: Don't have one now. I figure it's probably one that's probably not a you know, difficult one to find. and Yeah, it's one of the more reasonably
0: shape. expensive
1: uh, like it's not funny. difficult to find but usually, like most I guess, Joe vehicles uh, hard to find with its missiles. Yeah, it yeah. missiles.
2: The missiles are probably the hardest thing to complete on
0: it. Well, but it's and, only got the two. And yeah. that's typical though, like so many of the vehicles Before. you can get for very reasonable prices even now but you're going to have to search to get some of the bits and pieces yeah
2: uh
0: but yeah absolutely great vehicle fun vehicle uh it is definitely what if i didn't already have one sitting you know six feet away from me right now it it would have been high up on my list of acquisitions for rebuilding this vintage collection awesome great pick christian
2: yes (laughs) So uh, now our, we're going to go into the Springfield Showdown segment of the show. Uh, in this segment, we're going to have two characters. Uh, each one of our panelists is going to pick a character. Uh, those they're going to they're going to plead their case on that character, and they're going to have them face off. And then uh, the third panelist, in this case me, is going to determine who's going to win that Springfield Showdown. So take it away, Dave.
0: All right. So my my competitor this month is going to be none other than the Dreadnought Buzzer.
1: (laughs) Buzzer is a
0: vicious, mindless brute. He's borderline insane. He's got a chainsaw. He's got a gas can. He's got some kind of crazy hatchet on a chain with a handle thing. He's a madman. He would be unstoppable in hand-to-hand combat.
2: All right. Buzzer right. is a formidable oppo- opponent. Is that, uh, is that uh, your case for Buzzer?
0: Well, so far. So far. We've got to let right. Christian uh, put forth his competitor. All right,
1: Christian, Yeah, yeah, yeah. Formidable in hand-to-hand combat, but he's got to get close to me first, which is why I went a little deeper uh, into the Cobra ranks. And went with Metalhead. I have rockets on my back. Rockets on my legs. I have a pistol. (laughs) You are not getting anywhere near me. My mind is always racing and calculating wind speed, trajectory, distance between me and my opponent. And best of all, my rockets are voice-activated so I don't have to try and fumble with my hands. You can come up on me, and all I have to do is look you right in the eyes and say, bang, and you are being blown to smithereens. I will posit this. Buzzer's a a, a
0: crazy, wild guy. He's a partier. You find him in a bar, and if you're not on his bad side, maybe you want to hang out with this guy. He's going to buddy up to you. He's going to say, hey, Metalhead, what's going on, mate? Fancy some great soda? Come on over here. We'll hang out and party. And then when you sit down, you let down your guard, he's going to take that chainsaw and stick it right
1: in your back and cut you in half. I don't trust anybody.
0: All right, we've got to leave it to the judge. Oh, wow. So, uh...
2: Interesting, uh, interesting choices there. Um, both uh, very strong cases. Um, I, I, I gotta, I gotta say, um, I did appreciate the buzzer uh, impression. That was, that was pretty spot on. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know if that wins you points in this or not. Probably um, not. <laughs> uh, uh, but uh, you know, I, I will say also that uh, what you're talking about, buzzer, he, he is someone who spends a lot of time at the bar. And uh, I don't know if uh, if if Metalhead does that as much. He's he's too busy tinkering and doing stuff like that to thinking about uh, to, to getting sloppy drunk with his off of grape soda because that's all they drink is grape soda at that's the bar. That's right. Um, so uh, I don't know. Um,
1: I think uh, distance and range ahead. Yeah, I think I, I see think... you walk into that bar, and I just blow it up. <laughs> <laughs>
2: I think that uh, uh, against a lot of other opponents, Buzzer would have this, but i got to go with Metalhead this week.
0: This and month. Yeah!
1: <laughs> <laughs> Tom Savini for the win.
0: <laughs> That's alright, because next month we will be back with another Springfield showdown between two different characters.
2: I also forgot to mention that Metalhead has his own theme song, so that does give him the edge there
0: oh yeah he does get a big competitive edge on that one wait is cold uh, buzzer doesn't get to use cold slither
2: uh i I guess i guess he shares that with others but metalhead has one that says his name
0: yeah you're right fair enough it is time to close this show out with a segment we like to call knowing is half the babble where each of us will have time to ramble about anything that we want and this month noel is going to kick us off
2: oh all right so um i want to sit everybody down and we might call this a little bit of an intervention. Um, <laughs> There's a lot of great Joe fans out there i know I know many many uh great fans in the- in the Joe collectors community, the costuming community and many others and I'm sure that's the majority of them but some of y'all need to we need to sit down and have a little uh, little come to jesus meeting um, when when these toys are selling out for in ten seconds on target's website I know some of you are using. Technology to aid in that, and I understand if you you know you can game the system as best you can. Um, going up and putting those things on eBay for one hundred and fifty dollars for a twenty dollar toy, I really can't blame you for it. You'd think I'd want to vilify those people the most, but I'm talking to y'all that are buying it. Stop doing that.
0: Oh my gosh! Stop, yeah.
2: Stop encouraging this. Um, these toys are going to be available for for you, and if they're not. They're toys. They're not going to cost that much, probably in six months, even if they still remain scarce. Um, what you're doing is you're propping up these people who are you know using this these nefarious means to, to make a little extra money on the side. but what you're also doing is you're driving collectors like me uh, away because it makes me realize, you know what it's not worth it for me to fight that hard to try to get this figure. I'm going to let it go. So a lot of other people like me will look at that and say, "I don't need these toys that much. It's not worth it for me. I'll just go buy something else with my money so yeah uh joe fans let's uh let's let's keep cooler heads when it comes to this whole um you know scalper mentality um, not just the ones who are selling the scalping items, but also the ones that are buying those scalped items.
0: yeah, there's a saying online, don't feed the trolls." Uh, and for toy collecting, I think we can add in Don't Feed the Scalpers.
2: Exactly. Uh,
0: All right. I am going to go next and let everybody know we mentioned it on our last installment, which was not technically an episode, uh, but of Now You Know, where we talked about all of the G.I. Joe toy news that has happened over the last month. If you go to... At G.I. Joe Audible on Twitter, there is a pinned tweet about a giveaway for a G.I. Joe classified Snake Eyes figure. Go there, retweet that pinned tweet, and somebody is going to win that Snake Eyes completely free of charge. You have to be following at G.I. Joe Audible, and uh, you have to retweet that tweet. But we will be giving somebody a Snake Eyes action figure free of charge. So get on there, get on Twitter, follow us. And, uh, we, you know, we tweet about news. We tweet about the show, obviously, but uh, we try to stay on top of anything that's going on in the G.I. Joe world. We're going to broadcast as best uh, so we can. So we are the uh, broadcast Twitter transmitter. <laughs> uh, so, yeah, go check that out. Free Snake Eyes for one of you lucky
1: listeners. And uh, Christian, close this thing out. Alright, so, any of our listeners that are familiar with the Comixology app or have a Kindle Fire, if you sign up for Comixology Unlimited, which is like nine something a month, um, they have a huge selection of G.I. Joe comics that have been added. Pretty much the entire run of A real american hero including the later idw run that continued the old marvel series is all on there as well as the devil's do stuff some of the more recent idw so for uh you know less than ten dollars a month uh you can read a ton of gi joe comics uh for free and uh i've actually gone back and started reading the marble series with issue one and it's it's turning out to be a good time
0: awesome well you guys thank you so much for sitting down and talking about gi joe uh we have to give credit to Andy Samford of com for providing the music you have heard during this episode. Please follow Audible Interlude Podcast on Instagram and follow at G.I. Joe Audible on Twitter. Uh, And Noel, why don't you tell us a little bit about The Finest?
2: Uh, Of course, as many of you may know, I am a member of The Finest, an international G.I. Joe costuming group. Um, We like to dress up in costumes and go to conventions and take photos, but we also do a lot of other great things like raise money for uh, fantastic charities, uh, canines for warriors, Um, go check them out, uh, give them money, they pair uh, dogs uh, that are rescued from shelters, uh, and pair them up with, uh, they train them, um, and they pair them up with uh, veterans who are either suffering from PTSD or service dog. Um, great, great group of people, and we vetted them, and every dime that we raise goes directly to that charity.
0: Awesome. You guys, thank you for listening to Audible Interlude, a G.I. Joe podcast. Yo, Joe. Oh, cobra.
2: cobra.
0: Thank you for listening to the Needless Things podcast. You're the best. You can find the show on iTunes, Stitcher, Downcast, or in the ears of a Trader Vicks employee. Love you. Mean it. uh Uh-huh.